just uh, while we're while while we're waiting, um, how many here? You have to be honest now. Uh, watched the royal wedding yesterday. Quite a few. That's right. Uh, um, Americans actually love the royalty. I remember in 1776 uh, when the Queen came over. It was just a great, great party. Um, I'm from Canada, and um, we have a special weekend, which is ending tomorrow. It's called Victoria Day. So we celebrate every year the birth of Harry's uh, great-grandmother. Now, if you're in Canada and Ontario, like Phil is from, they call it just the May 2-4 weekend. And if you drink beer, you'll understand what, what that's about. So I'm not sure if we can get the video here, but we'll give it a try. Could we have the video? Ah, lovely. That's great. Excellent. Yeah, I, um, I'm always uh, happy to be here. Feel like a warm, warm welcome. I've been coming now almost maybe 40 years, a bit more. I used to come down to visit Alan and Fiona when they were studying at Princeton. So that kind of dates me, but I'm always uh, happy to be here. I'm glad that my daughter's here. She's very happy here. It's a great place. She has a lot of friends, and I know some of you in the audience and very supportive to her and Mike. Um, today, and we'll probably end before noon, so try to speak briefly. Uh, and then downstairs, we're going to look at this theme of unity. Right now, we're going to be talking about its virtue, just how great it is, how just by its nature, it is, it is just a great thing to think about and to aspire to and to get ourselves into that mode of practice. And then after our little lunch, uh, we'll be talking about its value in terms of what does Christ think of unity for us? So that's uh, our little roadmap. And uh, so I've got our scriptures here, so you can just read along with me. We're going to be looking at Psalm 133. Uh, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore, or eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we uh, love you because you first loved us. Praising you, we want to again thank you for sending your Son, who's the living Word, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd of the sheep, who died for the church, who rose again according to the Scriptures, whose death is sufficient for all of our sins, who came to serve not to be served, and to give his life a ransom for many. Who ascended into heaven, and in your time, 
Lord, is going to come again. And we thank you that the Spirit is engaged in the world, in particular, in your church, in the individuals who have been saved and regenerated and have believed in you, have faith in you, and are guided by the Spirit. We thank you and want your word to dwell uh, with richness and with conviction and perhaps with great pain in our souls, in our, in our minds, in our bodies, in order that uh, your will may be done here on earth as it is in heaven. like us to, uh, for the next half hour or less, uh, reflect. Reflect on this particular psalm. First of all, just noting his poetry. And uh, poetry, believe it or not, is, is kind of hard work. You've got to hear it. You've got to read it again. Got to make sure that you know the words, what the words mean. And then read it again. And think about it. And let the imagery, let that imagery kind of sink in past your brain into your soul. Because as we know, uh, when we are at our extremities, when we really want to communicate, songwriters, right, they, 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 they mix the music, but it's the words that they're trying to communicate. And usually they're deep. Usually they're really important. And so this is a psalm. Uh, It's got some imagery in it. We're going to try to scratch the surface here. But I just want to encourage you to, when you read the Bible, and it seems to be poetry or a song, then take it that way. Not all the Bible is narrative. Narrative stuff is, we have to read it a bit differently. But in poetry, uh, it's hard, but the real stuff is there. The cookies that are on the top shelf, all of the good juices and all of the stuff that is going to stay with you. And you'll never forget. And it's going to be you. It's going to be, you're going to, you are going to embody this idea. That's what the poetry can do. This psalm is uh, timeless. It's universal. It doesn't have any superscript. It doesn't say when David was kind of sharpening his arrows or tuning his his harp. This is just a universal and timeless psalm. It's for everybody. It's not just for believers. This is for everybody. God made us in his image. And the theme of this psalm is for everybody. It's for today. It's not just for last week. It's not just for when you heard it with some other preacher. It actually is for today. And a challenge. You can, I can, we can hear this psalm and its message, and we can walk out that door and actually change. We can actually do something. This is very practical. We can actually attempt to do some difficult work in terms of unity, which is the theme theme of this psalm. It applies in the church. 
It applies in the workplace. It applies in your family. It applies in your marriage. It applies everywhere. Just kind of like this photo here. This, this is a little water park. It's not very far from us. And just the world is there. And a lot of different ideas of where these people came from, culturally and, and religiously and culturally and everything. But you bring in that water and a sod hummer day and all the kids, they get it. The parents are a bit too ashamed to, to get their clothes wet, but the kids just run in it. It is universal. Water is a great unification thing. Unity should be like that. Um, on the dark side, the flip side of unity is everywhere. The first, <laughs> the first thing mentioned in the Bible to do with a human relationship is marriage, which is great, and it's foundational. And not long after that, you have fratricide. You have one brother, Cain, killing his, his other brother right then. And the Bible is just full of this. Jacob, deceiving his father, Jacob being deceived by his sons. Jacob's sons being terrorists and wanting to kill their own brother. It's just everywhere. So, remember that the natural thing for me and for you and for your neighbor is not unity. It, it's kind of in here. It's like the thing that we all aspire to, but in everyday life. Deep inside is a kind of just a knot. It's a curse that we want to correct someone. We want to put someone down. We want to break up something that is doing well. We get jealous. We get envious. We, we start to hate people because they're getting along when they shouldn't, for example. And it is, it is everywhere. And it is big time in the church. Big, big time. You might know this wild man here. I think he's from this part of the world. George Verwer. He was one of the founders of Operation Mobilization, along with Bill McDonald, who was very instrumental in inspiring and encouraging George to do this. Uh, went at a conference somewhere. I don't... Uh, George has been to many, 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 many conferences. He was asked, uh, what's the greatest thing that you see when you go to different churches. And he said, division. When you see a church that's got unity, it, it, it is like an oasis. It's like, wow, how did they do it? Why aren't they messed up like most of the other churches? Not too far from here, we have this organization, the United Nations. And as you probably know, they're not that united. And as you know, there's a Security Council. <laughs> and the Security Council don't represent, doesn't represent the highest level of diplomacy. The Security Council is basically, we've got the biggest gun weapon in the world, and we're going to all gang up on you and blow off your whole body if you don't comply. 
That's what the Security Council is. It is the power to use force to destroy someone. So, I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but it's not unity. As I've said before, poetry, and, I'll just, and I'm not great at teaching English literature. I didn't do well in English literature. I've tried to redeem myself for the last 50 years. Um, there's a structure. There's a structure in literature and in poetry especially. There's a structure. The author thought about it. Thought about every word and every phrase. So we start off and there's an assertion to do with unity. And then there's two illustrations. Done. That's the structure. That's the easy part. Here's the theme. Dwelling humans in relationship, dwelling in unity. That's what it's about. Two or more people who are sitting down, sharing their lives together. In particular, when they might be on the left and the right, you know, to, to, to the Republicans, the Democrats are communists, liberals, bad. And to the Democrats, the Republicans are fascists and capitalists and terrible, terrible people. Um, and as, I mean, we've seen it in our own time. Governments have become more and more polarized. They're not trying to work, you know, cross the aisle, as you guys say. Not a lot of that going on. Unity is when we can sit down and share our lives. And if you listen to humanists, listen to young people today who are not Christians and are postmodern, this resonates with them. Different people being able to sit down and at least tell each other their stories. First word is behold. It's like Kazam. Did you see that 1966 Ford? It's like that. It's like, did you hear that? Do you see that bird there? I've never seen it before. It's like, wow, look at this. How did you miss that? How did you miss that sunset? How did you miss that sunrise? How did you miss the biggest thing that's ever happened? It's like that. It's like, wow. And it's, I think the idea is, is that um, when you see it, when you see unity in a person or in a family, you might want to say, let's have coffee. I want to talk to you. Want to see, was it by chance? Was it just genetics? Or was there something? Was there some substance in that society or in that relationship? That's what it's about. Tell me. How, how did you keep this church from having division? How, how, how is it that no one has left your church in 40 years? That's the kind of thing. Behold, like, take, take note of this thing. First of all, it has an intrinsic worth. It's just got a value, at, and you can argue philosophically, is it good because God said it was good, or is it the other way around? Um, we just like it, so we think God said it. But it is, it is intrinsically, morally good. God has said it. And as you know, it's hardwired 
Fundamentally, everybody wants unity. They're willing to fight for it. They're willing to kill other people for it. They're willing to, to just have them and their friend and their spouse together, and they think, finally, we've got unity by killing off the rest of the world. But everybody thinks that it's a good state to finally get to. Secondly, uh, it's pleasant. Outwardly, it is good. Outwardly, uh, there's an attraction to it. There is an attractiveness. There's a natural uh, thing about it that is good. Like, how many times have you heard of a family <laughs> who get together at Christmas? Yeah? Because you're supposed to do that, right? Like, we're supposed to be a family here. And so they all get together, and then the fights start. Hey, we're supposed to be having a good time, and you're, you're talking on your cell phone, and you're, you're way away, and you're always playing hockey. And the fights that happen, the suicides that happen during Christmas is amazing. So when you see it, it's good. I've been blessed amazingly, if that's an adverb, by people who have this quality around them. It's not, it's not like it, there's a discipleship course. They just have it. It has maybe been passed down. They've seen it modeled. And the Spirit has said, well, of all of the fruit, you know, that I'm going to give you miraculously, these characteristics of patience and endurance and all that, they tend towards unity. So unity, it smells good. It tastes good. Uh, we all kind of know that. So, first illustration, oil. Precious oil. There it is. It's in a, it's in a container. It's got a nice viscosity. Eh? It kind of flows nicely. It's not like water. It's not like molasses. It's just <laughs> oil is that nice thing. And, you know, America is all about autos. Uh, oil is really important, that 10W30 stuff. And the illustration is the oil is on the head. It starts on the head. And it's being poured on the head. So this is an easy thing to imagine. We don't do it much in our churches, mind you. But, and there's not that many beards. But the hipsters, they're going to love this illustration. Um, and it comes down on the beard. There you go. It comes down on the beard. And some, some guys have some really wicked beards. It's coming down. And it, it's the beard of Aaron. There it goes, down on the beard of Aaron, and then it kind of um, reaches the bottom, reaches his robes, reaches the top, the collar, and probably goes down and gets soaked up by the robe, the gown. There you have it. Illustration number one. <laughs> Don't you love it? Don't you think it's just clear as to how that relates to unity? You might think I'm crazy, but um, maybe we think the author's crazy. But this is an illustration. It's hard work. The idea of the oil, the idea of the priestly thing going on, the idea that it's kind of coming down from the top, and it's flowing, and it's kind of getting everywhere. It's getting in the garment. It's saturating the garment. So let's try to decode it. Poetry needs to be decoded because the author puts this little code in there that 
makes it harder to get it, but once you get it, it's better. So this is not ordinary oil. This is, this is special oil. It, it, it was used to set apart the high priest from all the other priests. And um, it was poured on Aaron's head. So all of the Jewish people would know this illustration would be closer to them. They would understand from history what it was. And um, this, is, this is God's special formula. I've not tried this menu out, and this is not Chanel number no. 5. This is not common perfume. There it is. So there's the recipe for it. You can write that down or just look at the reference. This was the oil that um, was used to dedicate, to set apart the high priest for his calling. It's God's formula. So, a few ideas. These are just ideas that are out there. You may not agree with them. It's okay. You can think of your own ideas. Um, unity is holy. It is special. It is not everyday stuff. It's not like water that you wash your feet with and you, and you wash your food with and you bathe with. This oil is special. It's not common. So when you find it, take note. Right? It's, that, it's that thing. Like, I, I'm a plane spotter, and I look overhead every day, and I see the Airbus 310. I see the Boeing 767. I see the Boeing 737. All just tremendous amounts of planes. And then you see a new livery from some Air China thing. And that's amazing. And then you see some prop-driven Italian thing with the prop is backwards, and it just looks amazing design, like a Ferrari. I was cutting my grass just, uh, two days, three days ago, and I didn't have my camera. I bring my camera everywhere because I may see one of these things. And I was out cutting grass and, and weeding, and this prop sound was overhead, and it was one of these, uh, these I Italian jobs. And I only see them once every five years, and I missed it. I missed it. So unity is, is special. When you see it, go towards it. Investigate it. When you see it being destroyed, when you see people actually breaking up things that God has brought together, step up. Step up to the plate and call that person out. Try to stop that from happening. It's holy. Satan loves division. We've already talked about the history of the world. You could, you could talk about it in terms of wars, and in terms of heads of state fighting each other. It is the natural thing. Absalom and David, Paul and the churches, marriages. Amongst my friends and my generation, these are, these are upper middle class kids, Great education, great new school, great teachers, everything that they wanted. We're not infected yet by cell phones. Um, and of all my friends, and most of them went to university, well over half of their marriages ended in divorce. Well over half. It's, it's just so natural because... You get into a fight, and you can't agree, and, and you get hurt, and you feel wronged. 
and you feel this person hates me and hates everything about me. And then it becomes reciprocal, and soon you've got two people in court. The friends that I meet with now, who, fellows, it's kind of remarkable. When I meet with them once a week or once a month, the thing that always comes up is the bitterness of their divorce, how much it's costing them, and how much they got ripped off. And all of that, that's, that's the thing that kind of, that's a scar of fighting and of division. Challenge. You can be, you can be the agent of unity. You can listen to gossip. People love to hear partial truths, and they take them, and they buzz them around, and it just brings terrible destruction into people's lives. Our assembly, Leaside Bible Chapel, was going down in numbers, and we saw a young man who had a vision to plant a church in our city, and after a lot of prayer and getting together, we are now a new church, Trinity Grace Church, and there were some people going to our assembly, full-time worker type people, and when they heard about this, this kind of <laughs> joining together, this kind of uh, let's do something, let's Let's, let's uh, fight this trend of assemblies going down and down in number and actually shutting down, which is what's happened in our city. And it's happened all over the UK. I can't speak for America. He wrote eight pages to the elders of protest. When we had an open session with the young man there, he was just scribbling, 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 all hour and a half, just fake face straight down, scribbling out things that were being said. The elders had told people not to do that. If you have a problem, come and see us. He saw us once. Eight pages and two hours of face-to-face -face discussion. Um, then there was another session just, just with the assembly to make this decision, a very difficult decision. And he had sent two more pages. And a, a young brother who was just new in the church, and he stood up and read out these ten points of theological differences that he had with this new man. Um, I, I was chairing, and I had to stand up and say, brother, that's enough. These are serious accusations. This brother isn't here to defend himself, and this is not what this meeting's for. Afterward, he spread rumors that we'd become a Presbyterian church of all the bad things they'd become. And, and myself, as president of MSC Canada, how could that ever happen, that the president of an assembly organization is now gone Presbyterian. So I get phone calls. I have to meet the whole committee of, of MSC and explain, no, we are not a Presbyterian church. No, we are not part of the PCA. No, we're not doing infant baptism. We have elders. None of the women preach at our church. None of the women are elders at our church. We still celebrate our communion exactly as we did twice. So this was just false rumors going around. It's terrible. Tearing people down. Waste of time. Waste of energy. So let's keep going. Unity starts at the head. I've, I've learned this. 
We, we should pray for our elders, pray for our, our government, pray for our mayors, pray for our, our, our husbands, because unity starts there. It just doesn't come randomly from the people. It's not easy. It's not easy being ahead because when things are going okay, it's not too bad. You get in your car and you go to work and things are going well, everything's beautiful. But when the problems come, when you get a lawsuit, when two people are fighting, when someone sets fire to something, then you as the head, it's on you to make a decision. That's why being in government, being president, being prime minister is not an easy job. But it starts at the head. That's where the things start. The other, the other illustration is the thing comes down. I started to go to a church where there was unity. The elders had this good mix of not being too authoritarian, not saying, if you come to this church, you must do this. And if you don't, you'll be under discipline. They had that wisdom to know how to deal with people who have real problems and deal with the problem, deal with the person, and not just legislate morality or legislate church polity or anything like that. And that kind of came down to me. And now I am retired as an elder at our church. And I just, I sense the next generation has kind of picked it up. They're focusing on community. They're focusing on people from different uh, backgrounds and different languages and different colors coming together and being a worshiping uh, outreach community. And it needs to be guarded. I want to just say that. The second illustration is geographical. There's Mount Hermon. Never been there myself. It's pretty tall. Metric. British. It's pretty tall. And it's kind of right by the border of uh, Lebanon and Syria. It's way, the, way up there. Way in the northern part of Palestine, of Israel. Mount Zion, of course, is in Jerusalem. Different, drier, not a lot of vegetation. There's some there at the top, arid, and a lot shorter. So there are lots of places like this, South Dakota. It's just like dry. It's like arid. There's not a lot of vegetation there. There's not a lot of pizzazz or life or growth. The illustration is the north is where the water is, eh? It's like in, like in California. All that water that feeds this big Silicon Valley Hollywood machinery is all being piped in from the north. All comes down. And when it comes down, it brings, water brings life. Water brings color. Water brings everything. The Romans knew that. They settled in the south of what is now France and Italy, and they built aqueducts. And if you were in Roman government, the chief engineer in charge of water, he was second, the emperor, and the engineer in charge of water. It's not like that today, but that's the way it was. Water was so essential to the Roman civilization, and it's essential to vegetation, and it's essential to life. It, it unites. It brings health. It brings, that's the imagery of water. And so you have it there from the top again, imagery, top, bottom. All the water comes from the mountains, goes down, it kind, of, it kind of feeds, it kind of waters 
the dry, arid places. And in the desert, you have some stuff blossoming that just before was just dormant seeds. Because the blessing is there. Life. Life is there. So if we are, if we're in unity, there's going to be some life. I think that's what it's trying to say. With Israel, when they were united, they could say something to all of the, all of the nations around them that had their own gods and many, many gods. The church is the household of God. It's the church of the living God. It's a pillar and buttress of the church. Okay. So the church, apart from the United Nations, the House of Representatives, the Senate, the Canadian Parliament, the House of Lords, uh, all these other great places that we think are governing the world, according to the Bible, the church has a really central place in demonstrating life. Eternal life. All right? That's according to the scripture. It's kind of, we think that we're marginalized now, we're on the fringe, but according to God, the church, us, the local church, is really important in God's plan. Very important. It's not London, it's not Washington, it's not Tehran, it's not, it's not Jerusalem even. It's the church. That's, that's big stuff. Because you and I are involved in that. It's not just something we do a few hours a week. There's the verse. If we are in unity, if we can present unity to the world, to the church next door, there's something in that. There's something in that 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 will be a mechanism that the Holy Spirit is going to use. If you ask people what they think about Christians... Uh, there's a lot of bad stuff. Hypocrisy and uh, disunity is huge. They can't get along. Look at all the denominations. Look at all the denominations and scratch your head. We can't be like that. I'm just going to close with a little illustration here. This is Anatoly Sharensky. He is, was a Jewish dissident on, around the time of Gorbachev and uh, President Reagan. He was put in a gulag for almost 10 years. He didn't resist. Pardon me. He didn't give in. Um, and one of the first things that Reagan did was to try to get him, him released. He was accused of being kind of spying for the U.S. That's, that's what happened. And uh, when he got out, still alive right now, when, when he got out and they released him, in Russia there was national TV, and as he was there, they took away his Psalter. He had a little book of, of Psalms that he got from his wife, and they took it away. And he, on TV he protested. He went and he sat down like this, right in the snow, and said, I'm not leaving until you give me back that Psalter. Meaning, he didn't want the Russians to show that they had the upper hand. And this Psalter was really, really important to him and to the other prisoners because as he read it, he, it actually sustained them. Through the Psalms and the poetry, 
all of that hardship and all of the hard beds and the deprivation and all of that, uh, which normally is supposed to break you down and turn you into a madman. That's the, one of the great, that's one of the intents of incarceration in certain regimes. It's not easy to, to sleep on the floor. It's not easy to have no food or no water or no, no communication with, with your loved ones. He, he actually, when he got out, was asked about this and says, yes, that was very important. And I believe one of the things that he said is one of the Psalms that he said was really helpful was Psalm 133. Because the idea was, if we stay together, if all of us prisoners stay together and encourage one another, then the captors, the, the oppressors, are not going to win. So I just, I just want to leave that thought with you. Uh, unity has a price. It's not the highest price, by the way. It's, it's not the highest price, but it does have a price. And I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave all those challenges with you as you go up the door. It's practical. It can change. You can change it this week in any relationship that you have. Let me close with this thought for you who are knowledgeable, for you who have it together and you know what the Bible teaches and you've got a sphere or a box and you've got quite a few items that are important for the local church. Important. So much so that if they're not there, you're going to stand up and protest. Ultimately, you're going to leave because you're right. The more things you have on that list, the more things that you're willing to go to the wall for and say, no, I can't, I can't, I can't move away from the deity of Christ. No, I can't move away from the local church is essential in God's plan. No, I can't deny that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. No, I can't deny that, God, that ultimately Jesus and God will judge. I, I can't. The more things you have in that list, whether or not, you know, the role of woman, how much time and blood and discussion have we had about that? It's not unimportant. The Bible speaks about it. But is that going to be on your list? Well, I wouldn't go there because, you know, like a sister, last time I was there, there was, there was a sister up, up front and she was praying. These are things that I've heard. These are real things. So I'm just saying to you, the more things you have on your list that are essentials, the harder it's going to be for you to have unity with anybody. Because you've got it all figured out. You know, like in the old Bible readings, all of the learned brothers were there and the women were separate and quiet and they were discussing ideas about the promised land and imagery and then the two brothers get into a debate about whether the children of Israel went to the promised land or into the promised land. And they had, you know, that's the level that they were operating at. So anyway, leave you with that. Uh, I hope you can stay and come downstairs and we'll see what Jesus has to say about, about unity. Let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that we're one. Thank you for the great camaraderie that I see in this assembly.
Help us to be uh, your people. Help us to take seriously uh, your charge uh, for us to keep the unity of the Spirit. Amen. So, bon appétit, as they say, en Paris. Okay. Done, done, done.